Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the Kingdom of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that ye might be saved. And Christ came to sacrifice himself to save others from the bondages of hell. Now, the bondages of hell include the bondages of death. One of the words for hell had to do with sheols, and one was a, one was a word that had to do with uh, the garbage dump outside that burned, you know, the didn't burn like our garbage dumps would burn today, but it, it burned. And it was a place that they referred to as hell. And then there was another word for that and it had to do with the dead. And these are descriptive terms. Hebrew is a language of, of symbols. All language. Words are symbols of ideas, as Johnson said. And he wrote the first English dictionary. This idea that words represent ideas is very important because a lot of times we think, well, we got to get the words just right. No, you have to get the idea just right. And every word has multiple ideas attached to it. I can say, do you have hope? And you will say, yes, I have hope. But do you have the hope that Christ was talking about? You can, I can say charity. And you say, yes, I have charity. And Paul says, unless you have charity, you've got nothing. But do you have the charity that Christ was talking about? Every time you see the word that they translate into charity mentioned by Paul, it is charity. But when it is the same word every time it is used by Christ, it is translated love. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to love one another. Who is one another? One another what? We are to love everyone who believes in the Father. Even we are to love our enemies. Which brings us to the idea of the sacrifice of the red heifer, which we will need to do a show on that eventually. The sacrifice of the red heifer has nothing to do with the color red, has nothing to do with the heifer. On our Facebook the other day, I sent out a picture of a red heifer that we had at one time. She's no longer a heifer. She's now a cow. But uh, she once uh, pushed me into the river, <laughs> trying to kill me, <laughs> came in the river after me, broke one of my ribs, and almost drowned me. And she's still out in the field. And the, she gave birth to a calf the other day. And uh, I took a picture of her and put it up on the Facebook. And you'll notice the shadow of the car in the picture because I took the picture from the pickup truck. <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't get out and walk up to her. She's still a bit of a snorty wild beast. But the original red heifer had really nothing to do with the color red. And it had nothing to do with a heifer. What it was, was foreign aid. It was an altar. The sacrifices of that altar were distributed outside the camp to others. It was an altar set up to distribute goods and services outside the camp. 
It was an altar of evangelism, taking the message of charity outside the camp. America used to have the red heifer altars because Americans, Americans, not the government, Americans used to give foreign aid all over the world because we were so rich. I mean, we were a rich nation, blessed by God. You're not a rich nation anymore. You're a hapless, hopeless, helpless nation. That's what you become. How did this come about? Well, we're going to talk about that in the next show or so. And we're going to talk about what you can do to change that. And uh, I got an email from somebody this morning that actually talks about that. Uh, it says, U.S. began charging duty taxes on imported goods to run the entire federal government. That was the law. There was no taxes on wages or on earned income. Wages and salaries were not even income. That was your money. That was your exchange. You gave $5 worth of labor, and they gave you $5. There's no income. There's no gain. That was an exchange. It had a value that you set and agree upon. This was in your contract. And you had an a uninfringible right to contract. All that's changed. That's all gone away with. You have become a surety for debt now. You have stricken your pledge. And that you have sold your birthright for a pot of benefits. This is all done. Done deal. You are in Egypt. You're back in the bondage of Egypt, worse than you were in the bondage of Egypt. But that system that they had 150 years ago was a golden economic age of America. It brought unbelievable wealth to Americans. They were rich beyond your wildest dreams. And then they had a civil war. And things began to change. And, and, and outfits like the Fabian Society and the spirit of the Fabian Socialists came ashore in America. Now, I don't really advocate the duties and import taxes that the Constitution provided. There's a lot of things in the Constitution that I do not advocate. I advocate Christ. I advocate God the Father. And God the Father gave us instructions, and we go over this in the book, uh, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions. He gave us five precepts to put in your Constitution if you were going to elect someone who could exercise authority, one over the other. A central ruler, a commander-in-chief. If you were going to do that, there were five things that you needed to include in your Constitution. And in the Constitution of the United States, they only included one of those five biblical principles. Only one of five biblical principles we were told to make sure were in there. And they did this while you had men preaching in your pulpits who did not explain this. Now, there were men at that time that understood these differences. And they preached against the Constitution and most of the people in the United States opposed the Constitution. Had it been put to a vote 
of the people, for the people and by the people, it would have been voted down. Historians agree to that fact. It was so unpopular with the people. But it had nothing to do with the people on the streets, the people in their homes. It only had to do with we, the people, who signed it. We, the people of the United States, who signed it. The people weren't of the United States. They were of the states and of their homes. They were priests and kings in their homes. Many of them were landed. They actually owned the land they lived on, untaxable by the government, who could only charge duties in excise taxes. And we talk about that briefly by reprinting a story about Davy Crockett in Congress on our website. Great story. You should read it. It's very eye-opening because Americans have forgotten the principles that made them great, which is why they are no longer great, why they are a nation fallen, why why their whole society have become slaves and servants in their own lands, why the city has been brought down and brought back into bondage. Only the one item that they put in that Constitution that was the the five they should have put in there, that one item is disregarded today. It is shunned and, and, and hidden away by the men of authority. You have lost it all. You have lost it all. Now, you are called to repentance, to turn around and go back the other way. You are all Fabian socialists. If you send your kids to public school, you're a Fabian socialist. You covet your neighbor's good. You want your neighbor to pay for your child's education. And you're willing to send out men who exercise authority to force your neighbor to provide those funds. And you say, well, I paid in. They made me pay in. So I should be able to take the benefit. Even though you're in debt, you cannot take any benefit whatsoever from the United States without incurring more debt. So where, who is paying for it? Was it the money you send in that paid for the education you're getting? The social welfare you're getting? The social security you're getting? Is that the money you're getting back? No. You're not, that money's gone. Thieves and robbers broke in. Moths ate it up. It's gone. It has been squandered and wasted. It has been spent and it has disappeared. There is no money in Social Security whatsoever. None. Not a single dime. We have several articles that prove this beyond a shadow of a doubt. I have gotten not one single individual who will argue. The facts are clear. There is no money in Social Security. It is an absolute lie and delusion. And you do not need to be an accountant to figure it out. It's right there in front of you. So every benefit you take is paid for by your children and your grandchildren who will be forced at the point of a gun to pay and pay and pay and pay. You have brought your whole nation, your families, your neighbors, everyone back into the bondage of Egypt. And you were told never to go back there again. Christ did not open the door to Egypt. He did not open the door to bondage. He opened the door to liberty. But you haven't been doing what Christ said because your preachers aren't really telling you what Christ said. 
You think loving your neighbor is having a good thought. You think believing in Christ is having a thought. It is walking in a way. And you need to turn around. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how you can start turning around. I know you can't go cold turkey. I know many of you are absolutely dependent upon the unrighteous mammon for your welfare. I understand that. But that doesn't mean you can't start turning around. You can't start seeing the truth of the fact that the system you have devised for yourself is destroying your 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 neighbors. We talked in the, the last show about people who are being arrested for sleeping outside of their house, even though they have no house. How many people lost their homes in the last decade? Since 2008, even. Millions! Millions! And they're still losing their homes. They're still walking away from their mortgages. Many of them are surviving. Both parents are going to work, and sometimes the kids are being taken care of by grandparents, and, and family is there, and they're helping each other, and that's great. Instead of having a year of Jubilee, your priests made the bankers richer and every one of you poor. It was the largest robbery in the in the history of the world. Right in front of you, in broad daylight, you were all robbed. And you're being robbed every day. And you deserve to be robbed because you have abandoned the ways of Christ. You said you believe, but you do not do the things that he said. You're still calling the state your father. You're still going to them for your, to be your sugar daddy. Teach my children in your schools, in your gun-free zones. Give me health care. Take care of me. Bring me back to life with your doctors. Drug my children if they misbehave. This is your prayer. This is what you've been asking for, and you got it. And they don't love you. They hate you. They despise you. And if you show any sign of standing up like real men and women, they will slap you down. But if you have Christ in you, they will not even be able to look at you. (laughs) But you don't have Christ in you. You don't really believe. You may want to believe. I understand that. And no one's ever told you the real message of Christ. Why do you think Christ raising the dead, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, eat at my table, or you cannot have life more abundant? They all left him. Did they actually think he was going to start slicing off pieces of his flesh and they were going to have to eat that? No. No. He was saying, you're going to have to eat at the table that I am setting with myself. I have laid myself on this altar. I have given up everything. I was rich. I was rich. But I made myself poor. It tells you that in the Bible. Jesus was never poor as a child. He was rich as a child. He came from one of the richest families in all of the Roman Empire. Joseph wasn't as rich as as, as uh, Mary's uncle. Mary's uncle was fabulously wealthy. 
Joseph was rich. He was a major contractor both in Egypt and in Caesarea. Built huge. He wasn't actually a carpenter. He was a stonemason. And he had lots and lots of people working for him. And made lots and lots of money. Jesus was rich. The eldest son of a rich man. He was rich. He walked away from it. And made himself poor. And entered into the ministry of Moses. By the calling of his elder cousin. Who was the eldest of the family at that time. Eldest male of the family. Zechariah was gone. Joseph was gone. The two eldest was John the Baptist and Jesus. And John the Baptist was out there being a priest according to the traditions of the Levites. Free will offerings. You got two coats. Your neighbor doesn't have any. You share. You share what you have by free will offerings. The Eucharist of John the Baptist. This is what he was saying. Not... Don't go get the baptism of Herod in the temple and become a member of a social welfare system that has benefactors who exercise authority one over the other, making the word of God to none effect. Come together in free will congregations and take care of one another by faith, hope, and charity in the Eucharist of John the Baptist, the thanksgiving of John the Baptist. And And Jesus came out to be baptized by John the Baptist and begin a ministry amongst the Levites by adoption. He was going to be priest like John the Baptist was a priest of a nation. Teaching the people to live by faith, hope, and charity alone. For years he was teaching them. And John the Baptist says, wait a minute. It looks like you're more than just a priest who is to follow me in my priestly duties. It looks who is out there and turned the Jordan River into the laver of a living temple. He says, are you also going to be the Messiah, the King? And Jesus didn't answer. John didn't realize that. He was beginning to suspect it by what he saw Jesus doing. And Jesus had to kind of do this secretly, but yet openly, because the last guy who was king in Jerusalem had been put to death by permission of the Romans, by his own father. It was one of those Darth Vader things. Herod had his own son put to death by permission of the emperor. Does that that ring a bell? Have you heard that story lately somewhere? Star Wars? Is that what they were doing? I get to see Herod saying, I am your father, as he puts his son to death. Drama. But Jesus was out there gaining grassroots support of the people. As a minister, according to the ways of the Levites, gathering a congregation of ministers, They had to give up their personal estates, everything, to be one of his disciples, student ministers. And he was teaching these people how to form congregations of record amongst themselves, congregations of witness. What was the witness? Was it their signature on a piece of paper? Or was it that they were beginning to do what John said, take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity? 
become good shepherds, seeking the lost sheep. Is this what they were doing? Yes. But John suddenly detected that, wait a minute, this guy, he's putting himself in the position where he may be able to walk into Jerusalem and become the king. Because they, they knew. Then they knew. We don't often know. There was no king in Jerusalem. Had not been since Herod had put his son to death. What was Herod's son's name? Do you remember? I always have trouble remembering his name. Was it Luke Skywalker? No, no. I was, that was another guy who wanted to kill his son. <laughs> but this is what this is the drama that's going on. And Jesus said, what, what do you see me do? Tell them what you see me do. And what he was doing, he was raising the dead. He was giving sight to the blind. You guys are blind. You haven't seen the kingdom. You need to open your eyes. You need to have the scales removed. And, and that's what we're going to talk about in the next half of the show is how do you remove those scales? You can't remove them yourself. Christ can remove them for you. But you have to repent and turn around and do something different than you've been doing. And not just think thoughts. Walk walks. You have to make your journey Christ's journey. In order to find His way. You have to walk it. And say, oh, I'm walking off the way here. Back on the way. Repent again. Get oriented towards the kingdom. Start following in his ways. And this is why we create these congregations of record. You have to do it, though. You put it down on paper and we say, okay, they say in their testimony that they want to walk in the ways of Christ. We have seen your signature. Let's see the deed. I've heard the words. Let's see the deed. Are you gathering together and and talking about conspiracies? Are you gathering together and mumbling about eschatologies? Are you gathering together and doing what Christ was doing? He was offering them a way to take care of themselves without going to the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. And they were looking for the lost sheep to bring them to that table. But they were setting a table with their own flesh and blood and sweat and their own sacrifice, they were setting a table at which the souls that wanted to eat at the marriage feast of Christ could eat. Now, who comes? Sinners and saints will come. God will bind up those who will not put on the wedding garment and he will toss them out. The bridegroom will do that. To the power of God. And and maybe, if we can, before the end of this series, we will get to exactly how that works. Because that is a spiritual binding. He, he, the light alone, if you bring light into the room, many of the people will not even enter in. They will not even come into the feast. They, they will not follow you in. They will, they will stop at the door and they will turn around and they will go away. But you have to really walk in the ways of Christ who came to sacrifice himself for others. So you have to come 
to sacrifice yourself for others. Not just for the others that will pay you back, but for others that you would have no chance of being paid back except by hope. farther away you give, the more hope will grow in you. And you will not beat the helpless and the hopeless. We'll talk more when we get back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Our topic today is helpless, or helpful, hapless, and hopeful. And I I think I'll probably screw this up a bunch of times before I'm done with this series. I, I may say that the helpless, the hapless, and the hopeless. <laughs> and then sometimes the helpful and the hapless and the hopeful. <laughs> and what it is is uh, I came across someone who was, they called me, they called the church. They were actually trying to get a hold of um, someone by the name of Randy Lee, who uh, I've known for years, although Randy's pretty much dropped off the radar uh, probably a little impatient with all the people who really don't understand what he was beginning to understand. And he had a little bit different spirit than some of the other people that he was gathering with. I thought he was a pretty good guy. I saw a lot of kingdom tracks in his heart. And uh, anyway, he wrote the Book of 100s, which was based on the tens, hundreds, and thousands to some degree. And it was also becoming aware of all the different nexuses that seem to bind us to a world of bondage that is pervasive throughout the world today. This world of bondage is not new. It's what they used in Babylon with Nimrod the Great, who was a mighty provider instead of the Lord. That's actually what the words are trying to impart, the ideas that are being imparted to you by those words. The word hunter there is almost, well, it's, I don't believe it's translated hunter anywhere else in the Bible. It has to do with provisions. Nimrod was this mighty provider of benefits. And people signed up for the benefits and went under his exercising authority. And they said, Nimrod, save us. Be our salvation. And Nimrod said, sure. But you're going to need to pledge to me that you will pay in an equal amount. And then I will take that and redistribute it and make sure that all the safeguards of society are in place. And I will exercise authority to make sure everybody pays their fair share and you will be taken care of. And they said, praise Nimrod. And he did a pretty good job of this. But, as always with such systems, it's granting power to an individual who must grant power to other individuals who grants power to other individuals and it's top down top down rulership and that corrupts, power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely and the power that was given to Nimrod was the power that had been in the hands of each individual, I could decide you could decide How much will we give? Each of you are health, education, and welfare for your society, and you gather together in those tens, hundreds, and thousands. Ten families gather together. Pick a minister who is a good servant, who will manage that sacrifice that you make upon him. You give him. He is a stone of your altar. He gathers together with others living stones of his altar, of this altar, 
And this altar is built in the name of Christ. So it is there to save, to make you stronger, not to weaken the poor. And you give to that individual if he does a good job. You are priest and king. You must decide. Each of you are kings in your own house, but each of you must sacrifice to take care of the needy of your society. Your whole society, not just your little comfortable congregation. And this is how the kingdom works. And the way Nimrod works is that you sign up and now you have to pay in. You don't have any choice as to how much you pay in. You must pay in. You must give accordingly. And that is their system. The the state becomes your father. And when the state becomes your father, your natural fathers are not your fathers. Their potestas, their power, their right to decide is no longer theirs. They have waived their right in exchange for guarantees from Nimrod. And everybody does this today in Australia, in the United States, Canada. They say to the government, be our father, take care of us. Oh, we will have a natural father and we will send him a card. But if he really falls on hard times, he will just go to the state, the father of us all. And the state will take care of us because that's where I give. I give to my father by giving upon the altar at the temple, which I call my government buildings. I don't want to call it the temple because I actually go to this other church that really makes me feel good. I love to go to that church. I mean, the singing is wonderful and everybody's happy and everybody hugs each other and everything. But if I have any real need, I'll go to the state. But I believe in Jesus. Yet, that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus was preaching and what Jesus was doing. Jesus was saying, return to the ways of Moses. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Take care of thy neighbor. Provide for thy neighbor. Be the Eucharist of Christ in faith, hope, and charity. Paul says, without charity, you got nothing. And the systems of Nimrod are not charity. That's not charity. You know that's not charity. It's called a contribution when you give to Nimrod. But it's not charity. It's compelled. It's not a free will offering. It's a forced offering. You see, your whole society is based on a religion that is a lie. All of those years of studying your eschatologies, all of those uh, countless hours and exams in seminary are trash, according to Paul. If you don't have charity, if you are not taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society by free will offerings alone, you don't know Christ. You don't believe. Your belief is a lie. Because you don't have the works that James was talking about. You're not really a congregation of witness for Christ. You got serious, serious, serious. I'll do it one more time. Serious repentance that you need to start doing. Your whole life, it needs to change. 
You need to give up everything. If you want to be a minister of Christ, not squander everything, but give it up for the needy. So anyway, this it's time for this message. It's time for this message. And some of you are beginning to hear it. Your belief is dead. Because it's without the works of James. When Paul wrote the Romans, they were doing what I'm talking about. They could have gone to the welfare that was offered through the temple of Saturn and through the other temples of Roma. But they did not. They went to each other. They gathered together and took care of one another. They tended to the daily ministration. What do you think they're talking about in in Acts 6? Why wasn't the daily ministration? It was being tended to when they were going to the temple of Herod. They were taking care of the needs. They even had a riot once when they spent some of that money that was to go to the needy of their society, the the aged and, and, and those people who fell on hard times. They spent it on an aqueduct. There was a riot, which Jesus mentions concerning Pontius Pilate. But you probably don't know anything about that because you've been going to the ear ticklers for your sermons. I don't know if you notice it. I'm not a real big ear tickler. <laughs> I'm hard on you. I was amazed at how hard I was in the first show I did this morning. <laughs> I was I was going to start slow, but I, I just can't do it. It's too late to start slow. You need to hear this. You have been under a strong delusion too long. You think you're saved. You think you have faith. You have the faith that James is saying is dead. Because you're not doing what Christ said to do. You're not doing what John the Baptist said to do. You're not doing what Moses said to do. So if you're a Jew going to your synagogue and you're not taking care of the widows and orphans entirely by faith, hope, and charity, you've betrayed Moses. If you have been sacrificing on the altars of them who exercise authority one over the other, if you're not giving free will offerings, if you're, if the money of your country is unjust weights and measures and debt notes, you don't know Moses. And you aren't even a Jew. You have to repent. If you're a Muslim who believed in Abraham and your altars are not based on charity and free will offerings, but on compelled offerings of the men you call benefactors and exercise authority, your government, your Hezbollah, then you got to repent too, because you're not going in the ways of Abraham. You're not going in the ways of Moses. And you're not going in the ways of the prophets. The other day, I, actually, we we put this series up. Uh, you can find it on the network, uh, thelivingnetwork.org. Go to thelivingnetwork.org, and uh, and they'll tell you you have to join a uh, group in your area. I don't care if you're in Saudi Arabia. We've got a group that covers Saudi Arabia, and you join that group. And they'll show you where the uh, 
recordings are. But we list what the Muslims consider to be virtue. You know, it's, yeah, we just took it right off of Wikipedia. And it's a pretty good list. Pretty good list. I don't know any Muslims that are doing it. <laughs> it's a good list. And basically what the, the Christians do is they've, they've broken all those that you see in that big long list of the Muslims down into seven. And, and those seven pretty much cover everything that's in the, uh, the list of the Muslims. I thought it was interesting though that in the list that they had there on Wikipedia for the Muslims, for virtues, the first one was righteousness. They count that as a virtue in itself, just righteousness, which is really kind of all-inclusive. Which is why we were told to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because His righteousness is not what I see going on in the modern church. I see a lot of singing and ear-tickling and eschatologies and we're saved and praise the Lord. And But I don't see what the early church was doing and what they were told to do by Christ. I don't see that. I'm sorry, it's just not there. Uh, they got some good bands. <laughs> and they got people that feel real good after they go to church. But they go back to all the sins that were forbidden from the beginning. And they need to repent. And they need to turn around. And they need to go the other way. So they, instead of being helpful, they're helpless. And they're hapless. And there's no reason to be hopeful. So they're hopeless. Helpless and hopeless. And hapless. But if they're willing to see the truth of the fact that they have returned to the bondage of Egypt, which is why I wrote the book, The Covenants of the Gods, which you can read for free, they can start reading Thy Kingdom Come, which you can go read for free also on the website. And they can listen to the audios that we have up on the Covenants of the Gods. And I really need to do a series of audios for Thy Kingdom Comes. And they can start turning around. So what are the practical ways in which they can turn around? And of course we say form congregations of record. And most of the congregations of records that we have consist of people that are often kind of far apart because we're scattered flock. The bones are out there on the desert of Ezekiel and there's dry bones and there's scattered bones and we're trying to bring them together but we need to find all the bones I remember once when I was a little boy I was crawling in this briar patch we'd play hide and seek out there in what we call the woods I lived in Houston Texas on the bios across the street from the bios and we had these swamps and bios that ran through the middle of the neighborhood and it was full of bobcats and foxes and armadillos and all the creatures you can imagine including an 8 foot alligator killed almost across the street from our house water moccasins, copperheads, all this stuff and that's where we went to play and that's where I grew up and I was crawling through this briar patch and I saw this white thing sticking up in the dirt and I unearthed it and it was a skull of an animal and I was pushing around. I was hiding there so that nobody could see me. And while bored as I often was, I should have been on Ridlin. Not. You have to go see the last series that we just put up. <laughs> but 
anyway, uh, that uh, I began to uncover these bones, all these bones. So I went and eventually I, I went out and got a sack or a box, I can't even remember now, and I, I gathered up every bone I could find. I was just fascinated. I was just digging through that dirt and sifted through the dirt and found every single bone I could find. And I, I think I got every single one of the bones there. And I put them all in this box and I took them home. And I glued them back together. And the whole complete animal, like, you know, a dinosaur you see in the museum. I glued every single one. I was just a little tiny kid, but I glued them all back together. And I learned every bone in the body because it was a mammal and so many of the bones were similar although it was apparently a a cat or actually I think it was a small dog now that I think about it and uh, glued them all back together you know tail bones everything and uh, there it was all glued back together but there's no flesh on it so anyway that fascination with structure and bones even as a little kid was there already that it was kind of one of those um Contact uh, shows, contact of the third kind or whatever it was, uh, encounter or whatever, um, where he has a pile of mashed potatoes and this means something. <laughs> so anyway, that glued together. I remember standing there in my driveway on this, seeing all these bones glued together and just staring at it, just staring at it like this means something. And of course, that's what you need to do. Is you need to come together. You need to fit together, like the stones of the altar, need to fit together without hewing them. You know, we're not going to create eschatology. Oh, you got to say it this way or you can't join. you got to do it this way or you can't join. Now, Christ is core because we're His holy church. So you got to at least accept the fact that Christ was a king and that He established His holy church. I mean, Christ is not in you. Christ is not in most of the people who claim Christ. But at least we got to at least start there. <laughs> I have something to go by. If not, you can become part of the extended network. So you could, I guess you could be a Jew and a Muslim if you still want to cling to that. But you can become part of our, our Red Heifer extended network. But in the congregation, you have to accept Christ. In your mind, at least. Well, through the process, we'll find out if you can accept Christ in your heart. In other words, we're inviting you to the wedding feast. And we know both sinners, both good and bad, will come to the wedding feast. And God will sort them out. So what does that look like? The congregation record, ten families come together. What are you guys doing when you gather together? Some of you are having a meal together. Some of you go out to eat together. Some of you actually do some work together. Some of you talk about uh, conspiracy theories and how bad the government is and all this kind of stuff. Sometimes you talk about health issues and alternative health, good. Alternative education, good. But are you doing what Christ did? He came to save others. Are you forming a network? Are you connecting with other members of other congregations? Are you out there evangelizing and seeking other congregations? And I said in one recording, one show, that everybody in a congregation should 
they should make up a card for that congregation. And it gives contact information and numbers. And if your minister is not a good contact point, pick one that is. And then the one who, you know, you say, well, he's such a good servant. He does all these great things and, and, and he's very active and he's very energetic and we want, so we picked him as minister. Well, no. All of you should be very active and energetic. <laughs> you pick the minister who is the good contact point, who is someone you can respect, someone you trust, someone who is stable, someone who has, you know, maybe a family. He's, he's proven himself as, uh, a stable, reliable individual that has a heart to serve. And you give him covering as your minister. He's your representative minister. But now, you can't just leave him to do all the work. You have to do the work. You have to be a part of doing that work. Your king's in priest. He's just a servant. You have to give him the tools to do the work. Sometimes that's giving some of your time. That energetic guy that's amongst you that you made the minister and really shouldn't be the minister probably, he's still a minister. He's a minister as a member of the congregation. You're all ministers. They People keep telling me that. We're all ministers. We don't need a minister. You need a minister because you need to form the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You don't need a minister to rule over you and go do all the work for you. You need to be a part of the work. So what does that work look like? That work looks like Christ. You're giving food to those that are not, that are hungry, that don't have enough to eat. You're giving shelter to those that don't have a place to sleep. You're giving clothes to those who are naked. And you're doing it on a very personal, ten-on-one basis. And this is why I, I started this series. Is a lady called up from Monterey. If you know anybody in Monterey, get a hold of us after the show. And uh, I will try to put you in contact with this lady who's become homeless. Seems to be bright. Seems to be intelligent. A little bit distracted. Had been going through a lot. A lot of family members have died. She doesn't. So this is this is the people that are are going to need help. She's she's not a drug addict. She's not an alcoholic, it appears. She's just had bad luck. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to seem to have bad luck because they live in a nation that just robbed millions upon millions of people of billions upon billions of dollars in broad daylight and got away with it. And you're going to see more of the same. And you're going to need to start forming that alternative network that Christ came to teach you about. And your works have to demonstrate that you're following in the ways of Christ by gathering together and start taking care of others. And those who will not gather together to take care of others, they are going to be cast out by their own unwillingness to do that. And the network that you create by helping those people that are falling through the cracks of society will become the congregations of tomorrow because they are bearing witness today to the ways of Christ. Christ did not. He went to the synagogue. They cast him out and wanted to throw him over a cliff. I can guarantee you that I went into many of your big churches. They would want to throw me over the cliff right away. And if you were saying what I'm saying to you, you'd, they'd want to throw you over the cliff. So what did Christ do? Did he just go back home and get with his apostles and then just have feasts and talk about those darn 
you know, Democrats in uh, Jerusalem. You know, the, the conspiracy of the Roman, you know, uh, hierarchy, uh, you know, whatever. No. He went out and they started taking care of the needy of their society. They started networking all across Jerusalem, Israel, everywhere. All the way, even outside of Judea, way up to where a lot of the Israelites were. All the way to Great Britain and uh, even to Ireland. Evidence that the message was getting up there. They were forming the network that would be the kingdom of God at hand. But was it forming in you? Is it forming in you now? Are you working in the ways of Christ now? Gather together in these congregations and start forming that system that Christ was building, that John the Baptist was building. And you do that by starting to make a commitment, just to a few, to do something. And we'll talk more about what that could look like in the next Keys of the Kingdom. Till then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking more about the Kingdom of God today, and we're going to be talking about the hope and the helpful. We were talking about the hapless and the helpless, but now we're going to talk about being helpful and hopeful. If you're not helpful, there's no reason to hope. If you're not casting your bread upon the waters in hopes that it may come back to you, then there's nothing for you to hope for. You're not casting your bread upon the waters. Don't expect it to come back. It's not coming back. You're not sacrificing your blood and your sweat and your tears, so just expect to be drowning in your tears when you have a need. Over and over and over again in the Bible, we are told that God will not hear us in that day. What day? The day of our calamity, the day of our need. 
And everybody knows that there's going to be calamity coming. It doesn't take a prophet to tell you that, you know, the economy is in a bad shape. It doesn't take a prophet to tell you that the resources of the world are stretched. We've had shows and talked about the fact that there used to be six years' supply of grain on the farm in silos in the United States at any given time. Six to seven years' supply of grain. Back when I worked on wheat farms in, in North Dakota, that's what was there. All stored away. So if there was a failure in the crop, well, we got, we got, we just open up another grain bin and we will have enough food for everybody in America and even some to export. And if there's another crop failure, you could have seven years of crop failures, you would still get by with enough grain. Worldwide today, 30 days. That's all you got. 30 days. Maybe sometimes it fluctuates up to 40 days. Sometimes it fluctuates down to less. But average, worldwide, you got 30 days of grain, you get a crop failure, you got less. We still produce a lot in the United States, but we grain silos, you can actually go on eBay, you can go on the Internet, and you'll find people selling grain silos where they disassemble them. They're those metal round kind of silos, and they'll disassemble them. And you can buy them, and they have plans for how to turn it into a vacation home. <laughs> the grain silos. Turn them into a vacation home. They don't use them anymore. They just sell it. It all sold. It all goes away. You don't have anything stockpiled up in your country. Not anything, not seven years supply. You get crop failures for a couple of years, you're in trouble. You will have starvation like you would not believe in the land of the plenty and the home of the brave. Because you're not the brave, you're the enslaved, and, you know, that's the way it is. You're the, the, the home of the cowards, and the, the home of the enslavers. Because you enslave your neighbor to provide for your welfare. You force him through the benefactors you elect to exercise authority one over the other. Exactly the opposite of what Christ said to do. He said you are not to be like the governments of the other nations, the Gentiles, who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. is isn't to be that way with you. But it is that way with you. So you're not doing what Christ said. So you don't really believe in Christ. You're a liar. You don't believe in Christ. You believe in your idea that I'm saved. And I save myself by my thoughts. By what I said in my head, I save myself. I'm not a doer of the word. I don't have to be a doer of the word. I, I just have to be a hearer only and say. But Jesus said, not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. And James says that your belief without works is dead. You mentioned works, and the guy said, oh, we don't, we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith. Surely we will not die because we are believers. You are dead already, you zombies. You are dead already. You don't even know Christ. You don't know what he was doing, you don't know what he was saying to do, and you aren't doing it. You are in the strong delusion that you read about in the same book. You think you're saved. And you don't even know Christ. You're not doing what he said to do. You're not like him. You're like the Pharisees. 
who made the Word of God did not affect. If you don't know what I mean by that, go listen to the first show in this series. This series about the helpful and the helpless and the hapless and the hopeless and the hopeful because it's about all those things. The question is, which one are you? Are you helping or are you hurting? Are you hoping? I'm I'm running ragged today again. We're in the middle of lambing out here in the high deserts. And so we're up late at night and sometimes several times during the night. And we're also taking care of the grandkids, which is another whole story in itself. And I'm running out of steam and I haven't even got started. <laughs> but I keep on going because in me burns the heart of Christ. And Christ loved to go out and preach the kingdom and be the kingdom. Are you being the kingdom? Are you taking care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity? Do you even have a society? What it, what's your society doing? Oh, it's doing exactly what Herod was doing. It's doing exactly what Caesar was doing. <laughs> That's what you're doing. You're like the governments of the nations who have benefactors who exercise authority one over the other to provide for the welfare of your widows and orphans. Your social security is your religion. That's how you take care of the needy of your society. Through people with guns. You live by the gun. You sit in your house and say, oh, I don't want to own a gun. I send my kids to a gun-free zone for education. But you actually live by the gun, by the sword. Because what you have in welfare and social security and guarantees comes to you because you have hired the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. There's no hue and cry in your society. But there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because your society will crumble and die. Repent. Turn around. Become a part of the society of Christ. The true society of Christ. Not that other society of Christ. <laughs> I'll get into trouble for that. Um, for the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Not be ashamed. What does that mean, not be ashamed? There's an actual meaning and definition to that word. And actually, we're going to cover that in our series on Romans, which we've already started, and some of it's up already. But uh, that word ashamed, uh, we see it in uh, Psalms. Oh my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Not be ashamed, not let my enemies triumph over me. What does that have in common when it says, not be ashamed, and not my enemies triumph over me? Or in Psalms 25:20, it says, Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, but for I put my trust in thee. Put my trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, in 31.17 For I have called upon thee let the wicked be ashamed and let them be silent in the grave. 
We started this series talking about the zombies of the world, the walking dead, the dead that will bury the dead that Christ was talking about. And there's lots of zombies uh, in the world. Maybe I'll let you listen to uh, one of the uh, commercials that someone made up uh, in order to pr promote the Living Network, which you can get to be a member of by going to thelivingnetwork.org. But uh, they shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the day of famine they shall be satisfied. That's Psalms 37.19. Or Psalms 119.6. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. So, But you don't have to keep the commandments anymore because you believe, right? You don't have to keep the commandments anymore because you you're not saved by works. You just have to believe. But if you're not keeping the commandments, why do you think you even believe at all? Because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So if you're not keeping the commandments, if you're coveting your neighbor's goods to the agency of the fathers of the earth who you pray to for benefits, which Christ said not to pray to the fathers of the earth, but only to your Father in heaven. And why? Because you you didn't have faith. You didn't believe that you could take care of one another through faith, open charity. And so, you know, you you did away with your salvation and prayed to the gods of the earth. To the fathers of the earth, the men who call themselves fathers, that your sugar daddies. You, you are, you know, how many people could get this? How many people could understand what I'm talking about? Or would, who are even willing to or wanting to understand what I'm talking about? And then, of those who are beginning to understand what I'm talking about, how, how many of them want to do what I am talking about and understand that what I'm talking about is what Christ said to do? How many? Do you? No. People don't. That word ashamed, it means to dishonor, disgrace. That's what you're doing. You're dishonoring Christ. Because you're not doing what he said. You're saying you believe, but you're not doing what he said. How can you do that? How can you not do what he said? And say to me, I believe in Jesus. It doesn't compute. It doesn't make any sense. In uh, Luke thirteen seventeen, it says, And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed. And all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. That's the only place you find that word ashamed. The, the Greek word that we see is dishonor and disgrace. Why? Because what I'm doing <laughs> is I'm pointing out your disgrace. That you are, should be ashamed. You all should be ashamed. But that's okay because God is forgiving. I, I, I certainly want to have the forgiveness of Christ in me for you. But you haven't been doing what Christ said to do. You have been dragged under a strong delusion. Now, everybody would go under this strong delusion except by the grace of God. Nobody sees the truth of the of the gospel except by the grace of God. Maybe that Satan sees it, but of course he's not going to do it. 
He he knows God is God. He knows where he's going wrong. He doesn't care. Now, when I tell you you've screwed up, all this time you've gone in your churches and everything, there, there, I am sure there is an element of you that wants to see the truth. But you have to see the whole truth and provide for it. And this is what I'm calling you to do. is to form congregations of record and go out in the world and find those those women with their children trying to sleep in the back seat of their car that are being arrested for being poor. I've seen, you know, people I've known all my life see these raids on the homeless camps and say, well, they should because, you know, there's a lot of crime in there. What about the people who aren't committing crimes that are just had a crime committed against them and had their homes taken away from them by this a criminal money system. These unjust weights and measures. These debt notes that were bound to fail. This unrighteous mammon. That instead of having your year of jubilee, you rob millions upon millions of people of their homes and now their life savings and now their businesses and everything are going under just layer after layer after layer. You know, the only reason the U.S. dollars propped up is because other countries are propping it up because they have so many of those U.S. dollars. They don't want to see the value drop out overnight. But they are clearly bailing out of the U.S. dollar little bit by little bit. And they don't want to rush it because if they rush it, then the whole thing goes down in the paper money that they have in this musical money game becomes worthless. So they're, you know, like China is just buying every single thing it can, lumber and steel and whatever they can get, resources. They're just buying it and stockpiling it because they're turning those dollars that they got from you, selling you thongs and and uh, clothing from their sweat factories and their VCRs and all these things that they've been making. They've been selling those to you, but they're buying steel and they're building cities and they're they're just stockpiling stuff including grain, <laughs> which you don't have stockpiled anymore in the United States or in Australia. You, you're, you're in the midst of a war, and you're all defeated before you even start because you're the hapless and the hopeless. You don't live by hope. You live by force. You need to repent. You need to gather together in congregations and start learning what it means to sacrifice to take care of others. Go out there, gather in your congregations, and go out there and find those homeless. I've been setting up a computer to, to give to one of the sisters here who have come here to work. We have limited facilities, but we would like to get more and more workers training. Because we're not only training them in the things that they can do, but we're training them in how to walk in the Spirit. They spend a lot of time isolated and alone lately, and uh, that not without cause. Because you have to learn to be quiet and still and alone with just you and God and start following in His Spirit. And then we can start giving you stuff to do. And we're going to maybe go through and uh, set this computer up and they're going to go through and start making a list of all the homeless shelters and all the free kitchens and all those kinds of things. And then we're going to go out there and if we can get the resources, which depends on you and God in you, 
and uh, find those people that are already in this uh, business of Christ who will receive the Spirit of Christ in a way in which they do not weaken the poor, but strengthen the poor. And that's, that's going to be quite a job to do that. Because there's a lot of people out there that have their homeless kitchens and their homeless uh, shelters and all these kind of things and the poor. And all they're doing is feeding drug addicts. And they're feeding the uh, the hapless. That uh, should be the hapless. The poor you'll have with you always. Now, I'm not saying that you can't help those people out. You certainly can. But you don't want to be neglecting those people that are will, are actually beginning... It takes abject poverty sometimes, everything stripped away from you, to get you to be willing to wake up and look at all things anew. I don't know how many people we know that have had unbelievable, they should be living in the lap of luxury with the the skills and the talents and the monies and, and the advantages that they've had, but instead they have been, had huge amounts stripped away from them. But without that stripping away, they may not have been able to see what they are now seeing. So it may have had a purpose. You know, I I could have done a lot of things. Instead, I actually threw everything away. <laughs> I, I cast it off. And I came out to the desert <laughs> with no home and no debt. And we lived simply, you know, kind of the throw go into the woods and live deliberately. But we didn't even have the woods. We lived out on the desert. We didn't have the trees. (laughs) You know, that's why we one tree, a a juniper tree, is is precious to us. Although we built trees, we put planted trees all around us. But uh, out there on the desert where I spend a lot of time, when I'm not in front of this keyboard and microphone, uh, there are not very many trees. Although we have a big tree planting project going on this year, if we can get enough trees in the ground and uh, and ways to dig the holes which we're working on all of our half a century old equipment in order to do but that's okay that's where we are we're very frugal very thrifty but we're we're making a refuge here for people but we need to make hundreds of refuges all over the country and we could do it with your support but we don't want just we don't want you to just send checks we want your spiritual support We want you to turn around. We want you to repent. We want you to start seeing the ways of the kingdom, the ways of Christ. Start being the solution by being the kingdom, by taking care of one another. So if we make this list of all these places and we get out there and we try to go out where people are actually trying to help other people and find those that are willing to receive the understanding of the charity that strengthens the poor... Because blind charity does not strengthen the poor. Just to give and give and give and give for the sake of saying, I am a giver, does not strengthen the poor. It doesn't make good children. If you give your children everything they want. Oh, I want this. Okay. Oh, buy me this. Okay. Oh, I I want to have a party. Okay. No, I don't want to do that. Okay. What kind of a parent is that? If Christ is in you, the spirit of true parenthood should be in you in relationship not only to your children, but to everyone. And so therefore you're going to be immersed in tough love. 
I mean really tough love, which is where you say to somebody, I want, and you say tough. You don't need fast. <laughs> Those who are willing to help themselves, we want to help. Those who are willing to help others, we want to support and raise up. Because they're our brothers in Christ. Because Christ didn't come to help himself or to help others. He came to strengthen others on the ways of God. Because that's the only way they are saved. Saving, that may be something that we need to look at. What does it mean to save? Somebody's starving. They don't have any food. So you feed them. You say, I saved them. They were starving, and I saved them. You saved them from hunger. Maybe they needed to be hungry. Maybe God had sent them hunger so that they would fast. He took away what they had so that they would come face to face with the truth of how selfish their lives had really been. And you went and fed them. Instead of, I mean, what's what's the difference between you and the ear ticklers out there who keeps their congregations asleep under a false salvation while they are condemning them to hell itself? Oh, don't look out the window, you're saved. Don't look around you, you're saved. Don't worry about all the wickedness you do. Just remember that Christ loves you. <laughs> That's it for the entertainment section of this show. <laughs> but you're going to have to wake up and see these ear ticklers are delivering you into the bondage of Egypt. They are, they have betrayed you already. Chuck Baldwin wrote an article and I didn't get to read it. I read the first couple of lines and he was complaining about Billy Graham's son who said that he's going to support background checks for, uh, any selling of any firearm anywhere. <laughs> You're going to have background checks. You can't sell your gun to your son without a background check. I guess you can give it to him, but you can't sell it to him. <laughs> you can't sell to your neighbor without a background check. You know, that background check is going to give them a record of the fact that you owned a gun, and now this guy owns a gun. <laughs> That's gun registration, folks. They're passing gun registration. I don't know if you figured that out yet. Evidently, Billy Graham's son didn't figure that out. You gotta have all your guns registered. Your names and addresses. That's where they're going. They, they think we get these idiot preachers to go along with that. <laughs> if you really lived in Israel according to the ways of Moses and the ways of Christ, you would all have a gun already. <laughs> Because Christ said, if you don't have a sword, sell your coat and go out and get one. That's what Christ said. He wasn't talking about butter knives, folks. He was talking about a sword. Go out and get one. One guy holds up to me. He says, that's enough. So they already knew they needed to arm themselves. Why? Because they're going to overthrow the government? No, that government's there for a purpose. We want that government there. It's that's for all those wicked people out there who covet their neighbor's goods. They should be in bondage. They need to be in bondage. They're a bunch of thieves and robbers. That's great. That government's serving God's purposes. 
But now, if you're seeking the government of God, why are you praying to them for your benefits? Don't you pray to God for your benefits? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our daily bread. Where are you getting your daily bread? At the temple of Saturn? Did you register all your children with the temple of Saturn so that you could get daily bread for them? Or did you go to church when you had a need or when you thought you might have a need? Have you formed together in congregations of tens, hundreds, and thousands in all your churches? If you're going to a church of 1,500 people and they're not organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, they're not doing what the early church did. They're not doing what the apostles knew they needed to do because they had spent three years sitting and sleeping and walking and working and talking to Christ every day. And they formed the tens, hundreds, and thousands all across Europe. But you guys go to your big cathedrals and sing your songs and your crystal cathedrals and your what have you. And you homeschool, home church guys, you're not really any better if you're not gathering together. You're not doing any better if you're not gathering together in faith, hope, and charity with other congregations like yourself. You're simply not doing what Christ called you to do. You have betrayed Christ by isolating your little flock, your little comfortable group, over here, and say, oh, you know, we're our Messianic Jews. Oh, we're our little gathering of our, our congregation. Oh, we've got our little preacher, and he makes us feel so good. What's the difference between you and the big guys? You're not doing kingdom. You're still trying to make yourself feel good by doing something different. Why don't you do what Christ said? That's different. Why don't you not forsake the gathering together, not only in your congregation, but with congregations of congregations? Why aren't you feeding the poor? Why aren't you being, why did he tell the story about the Good Samaritan? Because it changes you spiritually when you start doing that. It nurtures something in you. What is that something? It nurtures Christ in you. Christ came and, like I said, he left the ninety and nine, to find the one lost sheep. You need to gather together and every one of you, leave every one of you to go out and find the ninety-nine lost sheep. That's where we're at today. The ninety-nine are lost. And maybe, what, what is it? I remember a story and I don't think there's enough time to tell it. I'll tell, tell it when we get back. After the break. But uh, anyway, there is a way. And, and we'll talk about where you are in relationship to that way right now. So that you can orient yourself and figure out how to get back on the way that Christ taught. And you need to do that. You need to work at that. And that's what we're going to talk about when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about the Kingdom of God. 
And we're going to talk about where you are in relationship to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within you. And what the kingdom of God includes is the comforter, the Holy Spirit, that Christ sends you to dwell in you. And when that Holy Spirit of Christ is dwelling in you, you become Christ-like. You start doing what Christ did. You start living your life as if you came to sacrifice yourself for the salvation of others. You just start giving of yourself in a way that is cast up, that strengthens you. You become those priests and kings in congregation that network together through a network of ministers who also do the same. It isn't that you pick a minister. Never, never did God mean to put a Levite between you and God. Always God wanted you to come up on the mountain. You put the Levite between you and God, and you're still doing that with your ministers today. That wasn't God's intent. That was because you wouldn't go up on the mountain. You would not hear his voice. You would not set down your baggage. You would not look into your dark recesses of your heart and clean out your house so that God could dwell in you. You did that. Now, does God dwell in you now? Or is that a strong delusion? And I said I would tell you a story. And it's a story of some Eskimos. That This is actually a true story. Some uh scientists we'll call them because it's a group of people there were scientists amongst them and they were out they would fly out to the tundra and they landed in kind of a hilly area which is rare to find out there but they they it was kind of upper ground and they landed in there and they built a camp during the summer months to do some experimental work there were some that were dealing with the flora and some that were dealing with the fauna and other things and they were doing this work, so they had this camp out in the middle of nowhere. And they, had, they were well supplied, they had all kinds of stuff, and they had tents. And the mosquitoes were horrible, just absolutely horrible, just thick with mosquitoes. And along comes two Eskimos, and they come up to this camp. Out in the middle of nowhere, I mean, you can see for miles and miles around, there isn't hardly a landmark anywhere. But there's this little tiny rolling hill little place. It wasn't quite the swampy bog that you see everywhere else. I mean, they could land a plane there and everything. But here comes these two Eskimos. And they came up and they asked these scientists. They greet and they say hello and all that stuff. And they, in the course of the conversation, they asked the scientists, uh, have you seen our camp with the other Eskimos? Because these are just two lone guys out there wandering around hunting. And... The the scientists kind of were amazed. They said, are you guys lost? And they had to translate this kind of twice to them. That, that, that There was someone who spoke Eskimo there, and these guys actually spoke English, but they uh, they thought maybe there was a problem in the translation because they looked absolutely puzzled at the scientists when the scientists asked, uh, you know, incredulously, are the Eskimos lost? These two guys lost? And the Eskimos finally, when they understood the question, they were looking at each other and trying to figure out why these guys are asking that silly question. 
And so the Eskimos actually kind of repeated their original request. And they said, no, we're not lost. The camp is lost. And, you know, I just thought that was hysterical. I just, I was just amazed at the, the, the point of view. To them, they thought, well, how could we be lost? We're here. <laughs> we're right here. We know where we're at. We're, we're here. We're not lost. They can't find the camp. The camp is lost. And see, this is, this is the problem. Is that you're trying to find Christ as if Christ is lost. Christ isn't lost. You're lost. <laughs> you don't know where you're at in relationship to Christ. You think you've received Christ and you, you guys are not together. You're not working together. You're not doing the same thing. You're not operating in the same spirit. Now, you may want to. I don't know. You tell me you do. Okay. Great. I I believe you are telling me that you love Christ. I believe that you're telling me that you want to do as Christ said. I am... I believe you want to be saved because you are telling me that you want to be saved, but not because I see you want to be saved. Because if you really want to be saved, you'll do what Christ did, which is try to save others. Not look for the comfortable congregation to be in and imagine that you got it all figured out or that you have it figured out, or that you understand it, or that you have the right eschatology, or that Jesus loves you, you will actually be doing by your nature what Christ said to do. Because he'll be in you. And I hear all kinds of people saying, well, are, are, are they saved? You know, when you mention something, well, is, is, are they saved? I, I don't know. Well, have they accepted Christ into their heart as their personal Savior? Well, I haven't cut their heart out yet, so I don't know if Christ is in there. How, how do I know Christ is in there? Well, did they say they accepted Christ? Well, any liar can say that. That's not hard to say. You know, I can say I'm the king of Sheba. That doesn't make me so. You can say you, he accepted Christ. That doesn't make him saved. I said, oh, no, all we have to do is profess his name, and then we're automatically saved. Oh, magic words, huh? You just, this is your incantation, you know. Do you need an eye of newt in this? Do you, do you need anything else? No, just say it. Okay, no eye of newt. Thank heavens for the newt. That's witchcraft. You're misinterpreting the Bible. Saying it don't make it so. Christ said that. Not those who say but those who do. Christ said that. He wasn't lying. He wasn't deceiving you. Not those who say. Those who do. That's it. That's what Christ said. The epistles aren't changing that. You're misinterpreting it. You're taking words out of context. The epistles were written in the context of the gospel. And the gospel is what Christ said. Christ said, not those who say, but those who do. So are you doing? No, you're not doing. 
You're doing the opposite. You're praying to the fathers of the earth for the benefits to get them from men who exercise authority. You don't have any kind of a system of charity in place that could possibly substitute for the Corbin of the Pharisees you now indulge in. You don't have anything in place that could replace that on a local level, on a national level, or on an international level. Because you have been taken out of the way by false prophets in sheep's clothing with pudding hands who come in and say damnable heresies to you while tickling your ears, telling you, just say the words and you're saved. Surely you will not die. They are demons. They are liars. They are the prophets of Satan himself. They really look nice. They got great suits. You know? They got big ministries. They have altar calls. But they, at their altar calls, your children are sacrificed. Your children and your children's children and your children's children's children will be paying off the debts incurred by your Corbin, by your, the Corbin of Herod, which you have all joined and become a part of. And I'm not saying to leave the Corbin of Herod. I'm not saying to be unfriendly with the unrighteous mammon. I'm saying, go ahead, pay into your unrighteous mammon what you owe. But those of you who want to be Levites, we can start showing you how to come out. But you've got to really come out with the spirit of Moses and the spirit of Christ. I will not recognize anything that I do not see coming out with the spirit of service to others. This is what the Levites were going to do. This is no joke task. This is no little task. You need to clean out your house of all the non-virtuous vices that are in you. You cannot do it yourself. You bring, you, you see it. You let the light of Christ come in and see your wickedness, your decadence, your selfishness, your sloth, your avarice, your lust. And you see it and repent and weep. And you give up all those things. And begin to walk in the ways of Christ. Though you be rich, make yourself poor in service. Then you can be one of the Levites, one of the living stones of Christ. Maybe you don't know if you want to do that. You can become a minister of a congregation of record and begin to test the waters and see if that's where you are. Maybe you really shouldn't be a minister. Maybe you really should be one of the congregation, which doesn't make any difference because you're all priests and kings. You're all ministers. But some of you are going to have to walk the road of the ambassadors of Christ, the apostles of Christ, the ministers, the disciples of Christ. The rest of you have to walk in the ways of Christ in your own homes. Gather together in congregations bound by love alone. In free assemblies, not in the corporate assemblies you're now in. And I'm not just talking church. I'm talking about the corporate assemblies around your systems of Corbin. 
and your social welfare where your priests are down at the county seat. And, and see what you're seeing happen with this deal with the homeless, where it's against the law to sleep in your car now. Where you can be fined 500 bucks for sleeping in your car, which means the next time you're caught, you lose your car. That's the priests of your religion doing that. Casting out. Not being the good Samaritans. Casting out those that are having trouble. They've had for a long time a charity that did not strengthen the poor. They have been the priests of Sodom and Gomorrah for over half a century. And they have been weakening and weakening society till there's no hue and cry left. Now I'm calling you out of that. But I don't want you to come out of the system. I'm calling that system out of your heart. I want you to start purging your own house of the selfishness that built that system by becoming unselfish in congregations of record that work together all across the country, all around the world, to be the ministers of Christ. Your your congregations, the ones that we have now, are babes. You are sprouts under the ground. You have not yet even seen the light of what we're talking about. You're beginning to get the picture. We have a long way to go. And I will go with it and with you together down this road towards the kingdom. We have a lot to learn. We have a lot to do. We have a lot to begin to believe and a lot to set down and no longer believe. We have to let that Holy Spirit in and we have to look. When you begin to try to be as patient as Christ, as giving as Christ, you are going to come face to face with the dark recesses of your own heart. And there the light of Christ can drive out those demons that have kept the scales on your eyes these last decades and centuries. We are in war already. We are in a war with wickedness in high places. And many of them have gotten into the high places of your own mind. And you have believed a lie. And you have to have the humility, that's another one of those virtues, to see that you have been deceived and that you need and are in need of repentance, of turning around and going another way. This is a monumental job, a job that is beyond anything that you could imagine. If you saw the whole job, you would give up in despair. You don't need to see the whole job. You just need to see what is laid, the opportunities that are laid before you to gather together with others that say they want to gather together. To come and not just rush into the table and sit down and say, okay, I'm ready to eat. Which is better? He who comes to serve or he who comes to be served? Christ asked that for a reason. When you gather in your congregations, do you come for the food? Or do you come to serve others? To be a servant to others? 
to sacrifice yourself as Christ came to sacrifice himself? You ask yourself that question. And many of you will be disappointed in the answer if you are honest with yourself. You have not come to sacrifice yourself. Some of you have a certain amount of sacrifice in you, but we are going to be called to sacrifice far more. These are good times. When bad times come, who will you call upon? Are you gathering together to be justified in your little congregations? Or your big churches? Are you coming together to actually be the servants of Christ? I don't know how many times I could say it or put it. In, in number 17.8 it says, And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. The tabernacle of witness. The word tabernacle there is the same word for tents. Witness is a record. Is a tabernacle of a witness a congregation of record? Is your congregation of record a tabernacle of witness? Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. This year, we we have a big almond tree out here. We also have a sweetheart apricot tree, which is actually an almond tree, and uh, except it has apricots and almonds. And we pruned heavy this year. And everything that happens here happens in the network. <laughs> everything happens in the network happens here first. We're pruning the almond tree. And we're going to see what buds doth cometh. Job 38.27 says, To satisfy the desolate and waste ground, and to cause the bud of the tender herb to spring forth. We live in a wasteland. America, the world today, is a wasteland of righteousness. It is a desert of recompense. We have all sinned. We have gone so far. There is no place to go. There is no new frontier to escape to. We are at our day of reckoning. The world that we have built for ourselves in contradistinction to that which Christ called us to do is crumbling around us. Do we have faith? Do we have repentance? Do we believe? Do we have the humility to realize we are in error? Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Shall not be lacking in trust. Can we gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and be the ministers of Christ to the world, calling out amongst those homeless people, you will find talented people. Through circumstances often beyond their control, everything was stripped away from them. As many of you have had things stripped away from you. And some of you who will yet have things stripped away from 
if you do not give them up freely. We must learn to be givers of life. And amongst those people, we will find more converts than we will find in the hollowed halls of false religion. In those places, people have become comfortable with the lie. And God has not seen fit to strip away from them that which they should not have had to begin with. But it will be stripped away. Right now, we are seeking those bones, those dry bones in this desert, in this wilderness, that will come together and fit together and begin to form the structure of God's creation. And those of you who wish to be the flesh upon those bones can gather and give those bones sinew and strength and covering. But it is Christ who breathes life into those bones as he breathes life life into your flesh. He does not give you life so that you can hoard it. But he gives you life so that you may give it away. So I'm calling you to do that. Somebody sent me a uh, a statement. One of the things that are kind of come up in the congregations of record uh, is exactly it is a government. It is an alternative government that operates on faith, hope, and charity rather than force, fear, and violence. And they pointed out that kids can't even work, can't even get a job anywhere in their state unless they have permission of their school, a work permit, or or no one can even hire them. And this is people in the system. Now, we also have an unnumbered forum, kids who've never been numbered. We're not going to publicize all that. You can you can become a part of that, but you have to become a part of the network so that we begin to know who you are, your parents are, and and connect with each other. You know, connecting on the email groups is a beginning, but that's just email. You know, that could, that could come from anywhere. Now you need to connect in real life and develop that trust. That trust so that you will not have to be ashamed. Lack trust. But anyway, if you're homeschooling, you can't get a job anywhere. Because you have no school that will issue the permit. But if you were in a congregation of record, that congregation of record is the administrators of your school. They are administrators by free will and by free choice. They are not the ones that exercise authority over you. They're not the school that will suspend you if your children eat a Pop-Tart into the shape of what might look like a gun, like that one school did, where the teacher actually suspended a six-year-old for several days because when they were eating on their Pop-Tart, trying to supposedly make a mountain out of it, it kind of looked like a gun, and the child, six-year-old child was suspended. Insanity. Insanity. We don't do that. We're not that kind of spirit in us. Chances are, in our schools, you're not even getting Pop-Tarts. <laughs> in our home schools, you don't get Pop-Tarts. It's not good food. That's not good stuff. It's full of sugar. It's bad for you. But we're not going to keep you from doing it if you want to eat Pop-Tarts or eat or chew it in the shape of a gun or anything you want to chew it in the shape of. But we as servants... And that one form of government, as the church is defined, we can make out that work permit for you. 
for your son or your daughter because that's the school you attend to, the school of Christ. But you parents, you need to learn as well. And that's just one example, lots more examples. And we'll talk about them in some of the next shows. Until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.